Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the Sportacos Football Stories podcast. My name is Craig Hansen and today I'm joined by Jeremy Barron, an Atletico Madrid fan, sports journalist and podcaster based in Phoenix, Arizona. Aside from his other work pursuits, Jeremy serves as the managing editor of Into the Calderon, an Atletico fan site on the SB Nation network and also hosts Colchonero Chat, a weekly Atletico podcast. I'm so excited to have Jeremy with us today to tell us all about his love of Atletico from past to present to future. Don't forget, if you enjoyed the show, we urge you to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is extremely important to us. We thank you very much in advance for helping our little podcast to grow. Hey, Jeremy, how are you doing? I am doing well, Craig. How are you doing? Uh, I've got a little bit of a cold. It's going round right now here in the black country. Everyone uh, seems to have it, including me, Um, but we're powering through, and uh, luckily for me, you'll be doing most of the talking today, I hope, so (laughs) in the spirit of that, the first thing I wanted to ask you, Jeremy, is how exactly you became enamored with the sport. Um, Did you sort of play it as a kid? Did you watch it as a kid? Um, And when did that sort of blossom into you discovering Atleti? Sure. So I'm I'm based in the United States, uh, the Southwest United States, in Phoenix, Arizona, uh, which is not exactly a hotbed for football. And I call it football. I don't call it soccer. I'm I'm not uncultured. <laughs> I, nice. I call it by its European name. It's God given name. Damn it. Stadium or ground? Stadium mostly, but I I will interchange it with ground every now and then. Okay. 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 I've, I've, I like been, that. Known to, I've been known to do that. But yeah, I, I grew up in a family that didn't really watch the sport, um, didn't necessarily look down on it, but we, in this country, it's all about American football or hand egg. Uh, it's all about American <laughs> football and basketball, baseball, hockey as well. I followed all those sports when I was a kid. Um, I played 
football recreationally when I was in elementary school, uh, you know, grades three, four, five, that age. I also picked it up recreationally, like for pickup games when I was in college, when I was a university student. So there was a gap in between that I didn't play it recreationally or even semi-competitively. But that was the time when I did begin to follow the sport as a fan, as a watcher, as a writer. Um, I didn't properly get into football until around 2012, 2011, 2012. That season, the National Hockey League, uh, the Ice Hockey League in the United States had a lockout. They weren't playing games because the owners and the players were fighting, of course. So I was looking for something to fill the void. And at this time, I had become enamored with Twitter. Um, I began my crippling addiction to that app. <laughs> and I made a bunch of friends uh, who were getting up at really weird hours of the day at 4 or 5 a.m. and shouting about Manchester United and shouting about Manchester City. So I thought, huh, this must be football. I, I called it soccer then because I wasn't I didn't know. Uh, so this must be soccer. So I started watching a little bit. I started – I'm a night owl anyway. So I, I got up and, and started following along and seeing what all the fuss was about. And I grew to kind of like it. I thought it was quirky. I thought it was different. Uh, there weren't very many goals being scored. But I thought it was really interesting to watch how different teams played tactically, to watch how different teams use different strategies to get the same end result. I didn't really pick a team – uh, I flirted with a couple of teams, but I didn't really pick one until I started – until my gaze turned towards Spain. I thought, OK, the English League is fun. Let's see what else is out there. Bundesliga has Bayern Munich. Not really interested in that. So I turned towards Spain. I was navigating to ESPN FC one day, and I looked – I happened to glance at the league table, and I saw Barcelona are top. OK, great. This is around uh, December 2012, January 2013. Barcelona are top. Great. But in second place was a team I had never before heard of, and they were rather close to Barcelona. And that team was named Atletico Madrid. Not Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid. So I thought, huh, this is interesting. Let's see what they're about. If they're second in the table, they must be pretty dang good. So I did some research, and I you know, found out, okay, they played the Vicente Calderon. They uh, have a manager who used to play for them. Okay, cool. I'll give it a shot. Um, this was around the time Radamel Falcao had his five goal game. And that was like, wow, they have a guy who can score five goals in a game. I'm, I'm in, let's, let's see where this crazy train is heading. So I follow along that season, the 2012, 13 season, they won the Copa del Rey at Real Madrid against Real Madrid that season, beat them for the first time in 14 years, um, with a performance that nearly gave me a stroke. <laughs> it just is <laughs> incredibly, uh, intense performance. Um, and th this team just defending for their lives, but looking comfortable and happy doing it. Are they insane? Are they mad? And I'm watching the sideline. The camera keeps panning to this guy in an all black suit with his hair slicked back. And he's screaming and making these wild gestures like, is that that must be a uh, checks notes, Diego Simeone, the head coach. Like, wow, <laughs> he's a madman. So they win the Copa del Rey. And they win La Liga the next year, and I'm officially hooked by this time, obviously. That league title was and is a miracle, and I don't know if anything else they do under Simeone can top it. Given where La Liga was at that time and where Atletico as a club were at that time, just an astounding achievement. So from there, I was hooked. I have since developed um, a habit of just getting up at weird hours of the night and weird hours of the day to write about the team 
or to watch the team in action. And, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with my life possibly being cut short by a few years because of it. Well, we're going to come on to it in more detail in a little bit, but you are a part of uh, Into the Calderon. And you guys have like a, a pretty pretty huge Twitter page and a lot of followers and stuff. I was wondering in that case, do you think that the majority of your followers, are they like Spanish people who follow Atleti but speak English and go to you for extra content? Or do you think they're all, um, you know, from the States or, or global fans, your followers? Mm, from the analytics and the demographics that I've seen that I have access to, uh, we've got a we get a fair amount of followers and readers and podcast listeners that are based in Spain, uh, who are looking for English based content for you know it could be a variety of reasons to improve English to get a different perspective could be a bunch of different things, um, but we're pretty proud of the fact that we've developed somewhat of a, a global international following. Uh, we have a lot of listeners based in the states. Uh, we have a lot of listeners based in the United Kingdom, a few others scattered around Central Europe into Eastern Europe. So it's pretty exciting that in the now six years we've been doing this at Into the Calderon that we've uh, developed a bit more than a niche following in terms of our readership and in terms of the, the folks listening to our shows. And you mentioned that there in Phoenix, it's not exactly a hotbed for football. Um, is there a sort of in-person community? I mean, are there like, you know, members clubs? Are there bars where you can go and watch football together, even if it's not specifically an athletic thing, but just a sort of love of the game thing? Is that because I know Phoenix is, I guess, the capital, right? It's like the biggest city in the state. Yeah. Yeah. Phoenix is the biggest city here. It's, uh, I think, the fifth largest in the country now. So it's millions of people. Here. And a lot of Spanish um, but, speakers, right? I guess, because I think, isn't it like close to the yeah. border? You get a lot of um, maybe people from Mexico and Central America and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mexican clubs are very well supported here because we're so close to the border. We're just a couple hours from the border. Uh, with Mexico, but yeah, there there are a couple places, a uh, couple spots that I I go to to uh, watch the big games uh, during the the international tournaments or big Champions League or big domestic league games. There are places out there in the downtown Phoenix area that I'll go to, um, and people in the know, I, I like to say, <laughs> uh, people in the, in the know know these places. Uh, there is one called Georgian Dragon that's a pretty cool um, English pub with decent bar food. That's the one I frequent. Okay, nice. It's like a secret uh, kind of underground cell. Pretty much, yeah. Cell. <laughs> you wouldn't really notice it driving past it, but if you're looking for it, you'll see it. Okay, cool. Um, so I wanted to ask you, you touched on it a little bit, but what exactly resonated with you about the club? Was it, was it the, the as you said, the, the manic gesticulating coach in El Cholo or <laughs> or was it something, I mean, sometimes it's, it's for me, for example, when I um, first started following the club that I support um, when I was a kid, it was to do with the color of the shirts. Sometimes it's just one particular player that kind of captures your attention. What was it that resonated with you and what keeps you coming back? Is there something about the club's identity that attracted you then and keeps attracting you as time goes on <laughs> uh, i am addicted to the idea that i will live a shorter life if i support atletico that's what <laughs> that's what keeps me coming back this club can be a heart attack every week um but uh, it's, a, it's a combination of things a little bit of everything you said there uh it's really hard to screw up red and white stripes like that's a classic look uh it, yeah, it, it looks is. good on anyone really maybe except real madrid players but it looks good on anyone um <laughs> Cholo Simeone was is, is watching 
watching the camera zoom in on him for the first time, like, whoa, who is this guy? He's dressed in all black. He's screaming his head off. He's waving his hands just maniacally. Um, and 10 years later, he's still here doing it. He's the reason I keep coming back. Um, just the story of following this club as it has, in a sense, risen from the ashes, but uh, following this club like in real time as they have taken on and taken down some of the continent's biggest and wealthiest clubs. Atletico are now in this echelon, but um, when I started following... They weren't always. Weren't always, no. When I started following the, the club, winning the league was a... It was a miracle what they did in 2014 uh, with the budget they had then, especially compared to what they have now. Um, just punching above their weight, um, the really honest way Simeone's Atletico went about their work uh, without huge cash injections from you know Saudi Arabia, from the United Arab Emirates, etc. Um, Atletico did this, I think, kind of the hard way, the really organic, natural way without huge cash injections. And some of the big money signings have failed, but Atletico have, have kept on pushing. And now we have a team that is the reigning league champions again, uh, is regarded as one of the, not just the big two, there's now a big three in Spain. And watching that rise and chronicling it on Into the Calderon has just been such a delight. Even if this team can be vexing and, and be dangerous for my health on occasion. <laughs> yeah. Like they all can, but yeah, I think it's it's a pretty. Um, I can see as an outsider why it would be such an attractive club and such an attractive coach. I mean, lots of people sort of have close connections with their managers, but for it to be in this day and age, a decade is a long time for a coach, and and the passion that he brings, and and like you said, to to win the league, those Champions League finals, and for it all to be done sort of with. A mixture of uh, either South American or Spanish, sort of hard-faced, hard-working players. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it was just. I think for every neutral watching those Champions League finals, we were all hoping for one outcome. Uh, I know I was at the time. Um, but I wanted to to ask you now. Um, speaking of chronicling this stuff on into the Calderon, I wondered when did your fandom start to transition into more of a journalistic pursuit and. How did you find that that changed your relationship with the club or did it change your relationship with how you watch the games and how you felt about the club? Oh, it, it definitely did. Um, I knew I wanted to be a, a, a writer, a journalist since I was in high school. And I was fortunate enough to follow a path that allowed me to pursue that and get my degree in sports journalism. Uh, so having that initial background helped me better analyze critically what I was watching and what was worth writing about and what was worth bookmarking and maybe not writing about or talking about on a podcast. So in conjunction with my training and my background in reporting at, at the same time, roughly the same time I was learning about the game, I was learning you know, the benefits and the pros and cons of a four, four, two formation. I was learning what makes an attacking midfielder, what makes a number 10, a number 10, you know, what, what makes certain players in certain positions, uh, what attributes make them stand out, you know? So following that in real time in a long, uh, coinciding with my journalistic training, it really helped me understand the game and it helped me understand the club. It helped me understand Atletico. Uh, I have a really bad Twitter habit. and I'm like, I'm persistently, consistently on the app 
so it, it, it helped me understand what's trending with regards to Atletico, what fans are talking about, keeping my finger on the pulse of the fan base in so much as I can from my apartment in the Southwest United States. Um, but I think it played um, Atletico's emergence in my life corresponded really nicely with my kind of awakening and my emergence as a journalist and my emergence as a fan of this sport. I think they uh, go hand in hand pretty nicely. And as you've been following the club, either now as it, as more of a journalist and before just as a fan, what would you say has been your fondest memory since you've been following? Because there's been a lot of highs, I guess, along mm. the way. What would you say is the one that you remember most fondly? Fondest memory? Oh, man. Uh, oh, that's a tough one. Because there have, there have been uh, some good moments. We've been pretty fortunate. Uh, I can think uh, back to winning the Super Cup against Madrid um, in Estonia years ago. That was a really good game. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, beating Bayern Munich in the Champions League semifinal in 2016. Beating Barcelona in the quarterfinal that year. That was, That's probably, that's up there. The second leg of that quarterfinal against Barca in 2016. I watched that game with two dear friends of mine at a, at a bar uh, in suburban Phoenix. Uh, behind us was this gaggle, this table of Barca fans. I was the only Atletico fan in there. And I was screaming my head off when I know when, that feeling. when Iniesta gave away the penalty that Griezmann then buried to make it two nil. Um, it was that was an electric day. Um, Atleti were rarely as as good as they were that day. That Barca team didn't have many clunkers. Atletico uh, really forced the issue that day. They were amazing. And I wanted to ask you about the the stadium situation at Atleti, because of course you you run into the Calderon, which is, I think, a great name. And I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about the transition from the Vicente Calderon to the Wanda Metropolitano, because these transitions between stadiums, um, some go better than others. Uh, sometimes it can be sort of... I know that in the case of West Ham, it was a bit of a disaster when they moved to the London Stadium for the first few years. I think it's going well now. seems like they have a pretty good atmosphere, but... Um, do you remember when that whole thing went down and, and how was it greeted by fans? How is the atmosphere in the new stadium compared to the old one? Is it better? Is it is it worse? I, I don't suppose you ever actually got the chance to go to either of them, but from what you can see from the community, how did that whole sort of transition play out? Yeah, well, we wanted to change the name of the site to Into the Metropolitano, but we weren't allowed to. <laughs> so we've stuck with Into the Calderon. Uh, we're delighted. We love the name. And it, it does kind of harken back to the, the old days. Yeah, I think it's at cool. the Calderon. Uh, no, but uh, sadly, I never got to go to the Calderon. And I have not yet been to the uh, the Metropolitano, but that's going to change in the next year or two. Uh, I will be making a trip there. Uh, yeah, the, the stadium move was initially greeted with quite a bit of suspicion and hostility. Um, a lot of fans did not want to leave the Calderon, even though it was 50 years old and it was cracked and peeling located next to a brewery along the river. Um, <laughs> it became the Calderon became very closely linked with Atletico's identity. Like you have the Bernabeu Real Madrid's home. It's nice and big and shiny and glittering. And here's the Calderon, which is comparatively, you know, it's, it's older, it's falling apart. It's the home of a team that has always been on the verge. It seems of falling apart uh, and the fans became very, very closely linked with the Calderon, and the Calderon then became a symbol for Atletico. 
Um, but the time had the time had come for change. Uh, Atletico, the club for years, had made no uh, made no illusions about what they wanted to do for many years, dating back to the 1980s. Atletico had wanted to move Stadia, and they finally did in 2017. Uh, the move itself was a bit of a disaster. Uh, because the the Wanda, Metro, the Wanda Metropolitano is located in the northern part of the city. It's located near the airport. And at the time it was being built, there were no reliable like, railway links to the stadium. It was in a more remote part of Madrid, outside of what is typically considered Atleti's home territory and bordering, in fact, on Real Madrid's territory. So there was a lot of uproar and consternation about uprooting Atletico from what had been its home for five decades. Um but amazingly, the stadium opened pretty much on time. Atletico played their first three games that season away from home in order for the stadium to be finished. But it was finished in time. Uh, the new transportation links were installed in time. And the, the stadium is just gorgeous. Just watching it on broadcasts and uh, seeing fan-taking videos that from the Fondo Sur, from the South Stand, from all across the ground, and even outside it. The atmosphere um, is much different than at the Calderon. It's a much bigger, more spacious stadium with much newer amenities. And it's hosting many more events than the Calderon ever did. The Calderon had this identity as Atletico's home. Uh, the Wanda Metropolitano is starting to become that. Maybe it won't ever be the Calderon, but it is starting to become there. There's more of an acceptance now that this is Atletico's home. Atletico have usually played awfully well in this stadium since it opened. And let's face it, it's a real, real nice ground. Yeah, it's just going to take a little bit of time, I guess, for the new one to build up the same sort of uh, relationship with the fans, I suppose. But it's always tricky in the beginning with those things. I know that um, when Arsenal moved from Highbury to the Emirates, for example, I know that was really tough for a lot of their fans because there's so much history wrapped up in these buildings. But Mm. as you said, it does look absolutely beautiful on TV and on FIFA, which unfortunately is all I know (laughs) about it. But hopefully... Like yourself, one day I could get there because I would love to watch a, an Atleti game live. That would be really cool. Um, so what's the, the plan for that? You mentioned in the next couple of years that is likely to change. Um, are there any, do, do you have any sort of um, rough rough plans for making a trip to Spain? And how's all that going to go down, do you think? It's going to happen. It's been long enough, right? Uh, I've actually never been overseas. So it's it's really, it's high time that I, I get myself over there. Uh, and you know, it's, I'm at a a time personally in my life where it's time to do this. And I'm at a point where I've been an Atletico supporter for nearly a decade now. And it's, it's time I experience this for myself in person. So in, within the next two years, hopefully sooner, uh, especially once the, the pandemic and everything related to it finally dies down. I will be making my way over there. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have developed some connections over in Spain, some very fine members of the media over there and really good football writers over there that I have had the pleasure of working with in recent years. Um, I'm very happy to have made some of those connections and, you know, I'm going to travel there, maybe even with an eye to moving there. We'll see. Wow. Okay. That's so cool. How's your Spanish? Uh, it is bien. It's okay. Uh, I'm, Okay, improving good. it as much as I can. Um, I'm learning to speak it a little bit better. I can read it pretty well. I'm I'm so used to translating quotes uh, and articles from from yeah. the Madrid papers. So I'm I'm my Spanish reading comprehension is pretty good. Can't really write it much at all. I can speak it a little bit. Okay, nice, really cool. Well, that sounds like a fantastic plan. 
And uh, speaking of matters at the Wonder Metropolitano, we're going to come on to those in just a second. But first, we're going to take one very quick break. And we're back. Okay, so um, first of all, while, while we before we get into this season and what's going on in La Liga and in the Champions League, the first thing I wanted to ask you was about Saul and his loan move to Chelsea because um, obviously I'm not uh, I, I'm nowhere near as in the know on matters Atleti as you are, and that's kind of the the point of this show is that I'm trying to learn a little bit about it, but. That seemed to me from the outside as a bit of a strange move for everyone involved because maybe I'm wrong, but I always saw Saul as being maybe not on the level of Koke, but I saw him as like a kind of a foundation of the club, like a bit of a sort of legend. And I was quite sad to see him going out, uh, especially only on loan. What was that all all about? What's the? Could he not get in the team anymore? What happened with that with Saul? Saul's situation was one that had been bubbling under the surface for a few seasons. Uh, you're right, he was a foundational piece. He was at one time a core player for Simeone. You could not get him out of the starting 11. Um, he played everywhere, tried to do a little bit of everything. Uh, you ask really any Atleti fan between 2016 and 2019, uh, name the most, the three most important players in this team, Saul would not be lower than second or third um, behind Oblak or Griezmann. Like, Saul was that important to the team. And what had happened was, uh, it's a little reductive to say it like this, but basically he got tired of being played all over the pitch. Uh, Simeone kind of saw fit to play him at left back or at left wing back at times in recent seasons. Um, the, the level of his performances in midfield had dropped off a bit and there had been increased competition for places in that, that area of the pitch. We saw Koke improve. We saw Tomale Ma come in. We saw the system change a couple times. Uh, and Saul never really made was able to make central midfield his home again. So he got tired of playing uh, out of position, and he asked to leave toward the end of last season. Uh, with his role in the team as limited as it had been under Simeone uh, since he debuted with the club following a loan spell at Rio Vallecano, uh, so he had asked to leave. The club spent most of the summer trying to figure out his situation. It looked like he was going to stay. Uh, and he did play each of Atleti's first three games this year um, at left wing back mostly, but he played all three games. Um, then finally deadline day happened and Atleti decided to make the move to bring back Antoine Griezmann, which meant Saul's salary had to be offloaded. Um, here comes Chelsea uh, making a move for him. And at the very end of the window, uh, after deadline day, technically off he goes. It was a really strange situation and... I was really sad about it because Saul was, you know, and still is technically an Atletico player, uh, but an academy graduate born and bred, defected from Real Madrid's academy to join Atletico's academy. Um, and Atleti's academy has fallen on hard times in recent years. Uh, there haven't been very many kids coming through the pipeline, developing with the under-19s with Atletico B and then coming into the first team. It's been several years since Atletico have uh, brought through a Cantorano, an academy product, into the first team. And Sal was next to Koke, the last one standing. So his departure uh, hurts. It, it it hurt and it does hurt. And it's unfortunate that he's not getting very many minutes at Chelsea, which was a strange destination for him, given how good that team is and how loaded they are in midfield with Jorginho, Kante, Kovacic, etc. 
Um, I'm happy to see that he got into the game against Southampton earlier this week, but it hasn't started out too well for him. There is a chance that he comes back at the end of the season, I suppose. But yeah, a, kind of a regrettable situation with Sal, who absolutely was a core player for Atletico for multiple seasons. Who knows if he could be again? Yeah, I mean, as a neutral, I would hope that he could come back and find his way into the fold. But yeah, you were right with Chelsea. It was always going to be tough. I mean, they have their own players like Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who always yeah. looks great whenever he plays, but just can't get near the team. I mean, that midfield is so stacked. And from what I could tell, he didn't have such a good time on his debut. And it just sort of looks like it's not really working out. So it is a shame. But you mentioned um, on the other side of things, the opposite side of things, Griezmann returning. This is something I'm fascinated about, again, because as an outsider, um, you don't know how fans on the inside are reacting to this, because obviously I'm not um, as enveloped in Atleti Twitter as you are. But I just, I see it as, um, I don't know, like I, I, I would feel like he was kind of a traitor for leaving and going <laughs> to Barca, and I wouldn't really want him back, if that makes sense. But maybe I'm wrong. Like, how do you and the rest of the Atleti fans, as far as you can tell feel about Griezmann's return is he winning you back over or did he ever need to yeah we were all rather fascinated by this um Griezmann's departure left a very bad taste it was it left a very sour taste because though Griezmann didn't come from Atletico's academy he was one of us you know um, yeah he was so essential to the team and Simeone worked very patiently and deliberately to develop him into the world-class player that he eventually became. Um, and it felt like a slap in the face when he would publicly kind of flirt with other teams, uh, when he would publicly refuse to, to turn down rumors, uh, effectively kind of fueling the speculation, fueling the fire. He would sometimes, it would sometimes leak into his game on the pitch. He would appear distracted, uh, but no doubt he was a great player. No doubt how important and essential he was. So it was a slap in the face when he left for a direct rival. Um, granted, Atletico were able to rebuild without him, and that was a sensational job done by Simeone and uh, the front office to rebuild the team very, very quickly after Griezmann left. Um, but a lot of fans were, including me, were pretty happy to see the back of him after he left in 2019. This was a guy who, again, had been talking with and about other clubs for some time. There were reports uh, that were, in the end, unverified, but uh, very strong reports that Griezmann was actively negotiating a contract with Barca while he was playing for Atletico. Uh, there were his uh, the issues with racism on, on social media. There was another one that cropped up during his time at Barca. Uh, so it was something that Atletico supporters were very relieved about. Relief is the word I'll use. Sure. So two years later, he comes back. <laughs> and it was With his tail between his legs. Essentially, yes. And the fans have, have done their bit to not let him forget that, uh, which, I, <laughs> which I, I think is deserved. You know, Griezmann did a pretty foolish thing. Um, and I think he realized it rather quickly that what he did was short-sighted and ill-fated. Barca had to take out an 85 million euro loan just to buy the guy. So Atletico were more than happy to let him go at the time. Um, and from the club's perspective, this was a market opportunity they couldn't afford to pass up. Here you have Barca ridden with debt, needing to offload as much salary and get as much back for it as they can. Um, and you have Griezmann, who is clearly unhappy there. It's a toxic, potentially toxic situation. 
Simeone loves Griezmann and wants him back. Okay, great. Let's go get him back. Sure. Why not? We'll work out how to fit all the pieces together later. Uh, so it, it was really the most intense deadline day I've ever covered uh, in seeing just how this mad situation would finally unfold, how it would all unfurl. And it ended with Atletico getting Griezmann back. Um, the Did he get booed when he started his first game? It was a mixture of whistles and applause. <laughs> It was a there was a very concerted effort by Simeone and several players in the media to say, "Look, he's back now. Uh, booing him isn't going to do any good. Whistling him isn't going to do any good. Uh, so please support him as much as you can." Uh, and it's been kind of a rocky start to Griezmann's second stint at Atletico. He's looked better lately. Uh, the two goals against Liverpool uh, comprised his best performance so far, no doubt. Uh, he's looking a bit better, but this is a very different Atletico from the one he left. The transition from Barca back to this new Atletico playing a different style with really all new players was always going to be tough, even though Griezmann knows the club innately and is one of its five uh, highest scorers ever. So he's looking better. He's improving. Uh, he's part of a really exciting, potentially new trident with Luis Suarez and Joao Felix. Uh, so... Great bit of business by the club to pounce on that market opportunity. And Griezmann has been well-behaved so far. He's been apologetic, and he's slowly but steadily improving. And my my working theory was and is that five or six goals will be enough for a lot of fans to forgive him. Um, I'm, I'm supportive of him. I hope he does well. Still don't like how it went down a couple of years ago. Winning the league without him was was pretty satisfying, I will say. Uh, but I'm I'm supporting him for now and and hoping that he does well. We'll see how the rest of the season goes for him. Well, we'll 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 see how he adapts to this new Atleti, like you mentioned. But speaking of that, um, with a kind of a non-analytical eye and from the outside, you know, I think uh, Simeone's tactics can be sort of, um, you know, boiled down to just very defensive sometimes or or very deep for people who, um, you know, admittedly aren't watching every Atleti game. Could you tell us a little bit about how how Simeone's tactical approach has changed during his time there? I mean, what's different about the Atleti that we see now compared to the one, say, five years ago? Oh, absolutely. The Atletico that uh, played that five-goal thriller against Liverpool is much closer to the Atletico that we have been seeing on a weekly basis for the past year and a half. Uh the the defensive reputation that Simeone has probably is never going to leave him. Uh, it's not it's not really well earned or fully deserved, but that's what it is. Simeone doesn't care. Most Atletico fans don't care. Uh, but to a to a degree, it's right. Simeone's early seasons saw Atletico play almost exclusively a rigid four four two, the two banks of four, a low block. Uh, not really wanting the ball, particularly in big games against big teams. Um, and it was a very difficult team to break down. Atletico would just congest everything in the middle and force the ball to go wide. That was the system for several years. Uh, Simeone tried to change it a few times, experimenting with a 4-3-3 and a 3-4-3 um, in 2016, 2017, 2018. But in the end, Cholo would usually revert to the 4-4-2. And it mostly worked, right? Atletico would get consistent results, always finishing in the top three, good for at least one long cup run a year. Um, last season, things changed uh, dramatically with Luis Suarez's arrival. 
And Suarez was another market opportunity where Atletico pounced on Barca, inexplicably not wanting him. One of the greatest strikers ever, just deciding we don't want him anymore. Okay, great. I know. So, the mismanagement at that club is uh, its just marvel. It's, just, it's unbelievable to, to see, isn't it? It's crazy. And we love to see it. We, we, we do. We to love see. to see it. <laughs> at least I do. <laughs> I think everyone other than Barca fans does. Not, not to hate on Barca or anything like that. No. I love watching, but you know, I, I've loved over the years watching Barca's great teams, you know, especially the Pep team. Yeah, and uh, obviously, I've got love for the club; it's fine, whatever. But um, you know, these kind of stories, like Barcelona, like Man United, if you're not a fan of that club, if, if you are a fan of that club, you have to understand that everyone else, not only your rivals, but basically everyone else, is enjoying what's happening, and they do they're find e- it hilarious. Easy, they're easy pot shots. It's really easy. Hundred percent. It's very but, funny uh, to watch. But anyway. But anyway, yeah, uh, Suarez becomes available. Uh, Atletico get him basically for free. Um, and because Suarez is in his mid-30s and isn't able to run like he used to, isn't nearly the athlete he used to be, uh, that uh, was the the decisive factor in Simeone saying, right, we're changing the system. We now have Suarez in addition to really exciting offensive talents like Joao Felix, um, Yannick Carrasco. Marco Chirente has come in and been reinvented as an attacking midfielder. Uh, you've got Tom Lema as well, who has become one of the best midfielders in Spain over the past year. And the reason for this is because of the move away from the 4-4-2 to a modified 3-5-2. Atletico now play three center backs on a regular basis uh, with wing backs instead of full backs. Yannick Carrasco usually plays as a wing back, um, which involves a lot of running for him. But he's a great athlete and a tremendous, uh, tremendously skilled player. So he makes it work, even though he's not a natural defender. Uh, so with the two wing backs, you have three central defenders, three central midfielders. Lema is usually the one linking attack to defense. And then you have uh, Joao Felix and Luis Suarez. Last season, it was mostly Angel Correa and Luis Suarez. Griezmann's return has changed things even further. Uh, Simeone has seen the need to evolve even further because teams are going to figure out that the Kieran Trippier-Marco Chirente combination is really dangerous. Teams have figured that out, requiring an even further change. So Simeone is now experimenting with a 3-4-3 and a 4-3-3, combining all three of Felix, Griezmann, and Suarez. Um, and, and that is also in addition to continuing to work with the 3-5-2. So the, the formation right now for Atletico is really very attacking. The strategy is very attacking. This is an Atletico team that wants the ball, that plays well with the ball, that looks for combination play outside the area, mostly to get the best out of Suarez, but it also is getting the best out of at various points, Marco Chirente, Anel Correa, Tomalema, and now a healthy Joao Felix, who is now looking like the player on whom Atletico spent 126 million euros uh, three summers ago. So this change has been really gradual. It's taken a lot of time, and that's why the defensive reputation still stands. And it's it's fair to a point, but this Atletico team is really nothing like the ones that um, that won the league and, and made the Champions League finals with Gabby, Thiago, um, Raul Garcia, Diego Costa, guys like that. Uh, this is a very different team that plays a, a different, more offensive style. Yeah, it sounds like a, a pretty big change from Simeone and one that uh, has has created success given last year and maybe this year it looks like it could be uh, mm-hmm. back-to-back titles on the way um, without jinxing it too much. But we mentioned there that a couple of clubs that are sort of in 
crisis right now. I mean, Barcelona are obviously in huge crisis and then they just sacked Koeman and then you've got Man United who are not in anywhere near the same kind of crisis as a club. But in terms of their on-the-pitch situation, you know, their manager is under intense pressure. Um, as you know, being a, uh, you know, a fan of Twitter and memes and banter, that, um, you know, there is a constant um, sort of theme on football Twitter of calling for managers' heads. I mean, it feels like there's only sort of like two or three managers in every league who are safe and everyone else is uh, calling for their coaches' heads. I wondered how El Cholo plays into this. Has there ever been a period where there was like sustained pressure on him, especially online, and people calling for his head? I mean, from the outside, I would say no, right? He seems like a, you know, like a god almost. But has that ever happened? Has it ever been... Sort of, okay, you know, we haven't challenged, uh, you know, quite as much as we'd like for two or three years in a row. Let's get rid of him. Has that ever ha- really happened? We are blessed to have Cholo Simeone, man. Uh, we are so lucky to have this guy. Uh, he's the the new Sir Alex Ferguson, really. Yeah. Um, there have been kind of isolated pockets throughout the years where, okay, the team's had a, uh, experiencing a downturn in form. They're not playing really progressive attacking football. They're only scoring 50 goals in La Liga in a 38-game season. Okay, maybe it's things need to be freshened up a little bit. There's never really been a, a sustained campaign um, to to remove Cholo from his position. There are there are occasional, like, Cholo Veteya people. There have been occasional people upset with Atletico's style in the past, but... Uh, they're definitely in the minority. The vast majority of Atletico supporters know how lucky they are that Cholo Simeone is in charge of this club. And I would say 98% of Atletico supporters, that may be a little high, but well over 90% uh, would like Cholo to remain in charge of this club for as long as possible. It's already been 10 years, um, 10 great years. And we are very lucky to have a coach that keeps everything in-house. You don't hear any stories of locker room discord coming out of Atletico. Never. Particularly compared to Real Madrid and Barcelona, the two circuses over there. Um, Atletico run a very tight ship. Simeone runs a very tight ship. He commands immense respect from his players who have said on multiple occasions they will die for him. Um, And we are just very, very lucky to have him. Um, there was a period where, where I admit I lost faith a little bit during the 2019-20 season when we were betting in a bunch of new players after a very expensive summer. Uh, the team wasn't playing well. We were, um, it seemed like very possible that we weren't going to qualify for the Champions League. At that point, I thought, okay, if we don't qualify for the Champions League, then maybe we need to really sit down and think about this. But the club finished third that year, won the league last year, and that should have eradicated pretty much all doubt for the time being that uh, there is no better coach for Atletico than Cholo Simeone. Uh, there has never been a sustained campaign against him. Um, he's got uh, virtually unanimous support at the club. I would say it is unanimous at the club. He is as safe as safe gets, and he's got a contract till 2024, um, so he's going to be in the in charge of the club, in charge of the first team, for at least for that long. Yeah, it's 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 rare in football that you get a story like that. It's it's Fergie esque or Wenger esque, you know. And I think he'd probably have to yep. do what Wenger did, you know. It'd have to be sort of 
sustained um, failure in the eyes of the fans, which looking back on the Arsenal situation now, you could maybe say that there never was actually any failure. Um, That's right. But uh, but there, but in the eyes of the fans, there was. It would need to be like a decade of that, like it was at Arsenal, before he could be forced out, I guess, because of all the work he's done. And I think that the kind of like you, you touched on there, one of the most impressive things that he's done is managed to, unlike the two circuses that you mentioned, which are sort of built on that, <laughs> Galactico model and sort of individualism and there's no real team ethic it feels like there's always been a sort of tight team cohesion there's always been a sort of club above everyone type mentality and and I worried that when Atleti had kind of earned the right to start spending money to be one of the big boys through all that overachievement and they started bringing in guys like Jao Felix that maybe that they would lose that but um but if I'm right I'm right in thinking then that that isn't the case even the 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 big money signings they're making everyone's still buying into the sort of you know uh cholo is the the kind of divine leader it's an awesome team movement there's no sort of individualism is that still the case now despite being a bona fide member of the big three in la liga yeah that's part of the magic of cholo simeone is that he's never worked to establish a cult of personality um but he has this magic ability to, to get buy-in he has this incredible like as if it's a sixth sense uh, he pushes all the right buttons he is an incredible leader of men the man management skills are just second to none every year he gets this buy-in like every year um he finds ways to keep things fresh keep things ticking without getting overly stolid or stale even in some of atletico's quote-unquote down years they still finish second or third um, and comfortably in most cases. Uh, so it, it's the amount of buy-in and the man management gift that Cholo has. And I think a big reason for it is because Cholo is so connected to the club. He spent um, two stints there as a player, won the league as a, a key player during the 96 season, part of a League Cup double that year. So he feels a very intense connection with the club and with the supporters, and he is incredibly, scarily effective at communicating that to all the players who come through and the ones who are built tough enough, uh, they embrace it. They stay and they become legends. Uh, Diego Godin was not a fan favorite when he joined Atletico, but Simeone comes in, he turns him into the best center back this club's ever had. And he uh, left so they, a legend, right? He left a legend. Absolutely. Uh, with, you know, two feet out the front door. Um, he will always be welcome back. Same with Felipe Luis, same with Juan Fran. Mostly the same with Diego Costa, although his second stint at Atletico was a disaster, pretty much considering the fee paid for him. Um, Cholo has just an innate ability to to get this buy-in and to get these players to fight for him. Um, and he is not so stubborn as to not listen to the players when they want something different. There was reporting uh, throughout last year that Atletico's players – didn't necessarily protest or go to him en masse, but there were suggestions in the dressing room that, listen, we need to play differently. We have players like Felix, Slamage, Orente, uh, and we're not getting the best out of them. So Simeone accordingly changed the coaching staff and changed the style. Um, he is a player's coach, but he also has a he, – he has a role with an iron fist, but he's got a firm grip and he runs a tight ship. And it really is amazing how year after year he keeps the message relevant. Yeah, it's it's sort of the the perfect balance between great leadership and authority, but not too much because we've seen you know 
I guess maybe Mourinho would be an example of the opposite, right? Where it's just far too much yeah. authority and kind of misled authority. But to touch on something that you mentioned earlier, which is the youth academy situation, um, to give Barcelona and even Real Madrid some credit, I think, like in recent years, they've been bringing through, uh, you know, a lot of young talent. And you said that maybe that could be sort of an issue on the horizon at Atleti. Now, it's not like the group is like horribly aging. It's not like everyone's 35 or anything, but there is sort of a... <laughs> You know, the, the the age, the average age is sort of ticking up there. And maybe you worry that there there aren't enough prospects coming through. But, but are there any prospects coming through? Are there maybe one or two names that I wouldn't be familiar with that are breaking into the, 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 the general group and that we might see blossom in the coming years? Uh, Diego Simeone's uh, youngest son is one name to look out for. Ah. Um, Giuliano okay. Simeone played, played very well in the preseason. Uh, there wasn't much chatter of him actually joining the first team, but he played throughout the preseason uh, and is playing for the under-19s right now, uh, currently coached by Fernando Torres. So he is a name to look out for. Uh, Cholo could give Cholito his debut at some point. Uh, Javi Serrano is a really solid central midfield prospect, really uh, a midfielder made of steel, really. Uh, PSG were interested in signing him, but he said no and extended his contract with Atletico instead. Uh, so those are two names. Adrian Corral, uh, a player Atletico poached uh, from under Real Madrid's nose. He's a teenage center back. He's one to look out for for the future. Um, but by and large, Atletico's uh, prospect um, kind of prospect horde isn't overly impressive as compared to past years. You know, this is an academy that can take credit for Coque, for Saul, for Thomas Party, Lucas Hernandez, Rodri, um, guys who are now you know, big names in, in the Premier League and in the Bundesliga and in Spain, of course, with Koke. Um, but yeah, this isn't a, a crop that right now stands out. This isn't a crop with several future stars in it. Uh, so yeah, it is a concern for the future um, because Atletico, like Madrid and Barcelona, do have some debt to worry about. And, you know, it, it's always cost effective to bring up kids to the academy, but it's just not that strong right now. But um, I'll definitely be keeping my uh, ears pricked for for Cholo's son because that would be a pretty yep. awesome story if Wouldn't he was that be playing. A great story. It that would be, be really, really cool. Imagine him uh, shouting at his son from the sidelines. That would be so <laughs> awesome. Um, but you you talked about there that the sort of before the consistency that even during the sort of darker periods the club has managed to be top three every year, decent cup run. But one thing that I noticed in my research is that in the last few years, it seems like the European achievements have been a little bit lacking. So since those two finals that uh, I'm sure we both remember uh, so vividly and the semi-final, apparently, well, yes, exactly. I remember um, being quite down, even being quite down about it here. Me and my friends were, even though we don't really have a sort of um don't have skin in the game but you know atleti was such an underdog in those games we all wanted atleti to how could you not want them to win um unless you're a real fan but but since that period of you know really high achievement in the champions league since 2017 the club has failed to get past the quarters and that's included two last 16 exits in the last three years why are they struggling to translate domestic form into european form because i think that probably they are in Europe, one I know the Champions League is so hard, it's a knockout format, anything can happen, but you'd think that they are one of the best eight teams at least. 
why are they struggling to 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 get further in 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 the Champions League? Yeah, in recent years, it's been a combination of bad luck in this competition and the fact that they're just facing better teams. Um, yeah, 2016-17 was the last time they made the semifinals, and that was after beating Leverkusen and Leicester, just barely getting out of Leicester alive but after that second leg, which was really, really intense. Leicester put everything they had into that second leg. And then there was the capitulation to Real Madrid in the semifinal. The year after that, uh, a lot of bad luck in the group stage with finishing chances, ended up going to the Europa League, then winning the Europa League. Uh, but that was kind of the, the start of this downturn, was 2017-18 in terms of the European, the Champions League fortunes. Uh, 2018-19, they fell victim to another all-time great Cristiano Ronaldo performance. There have been several of those at Atletico's expense um, in the second leg in Italy. 2019-20 was... Uh, Started spectacularly with the win over Liverpool, the, the two-legged win over Liverpool. But Atleti then ran into a Leipzig team that was simply better prepared. A Leipzig team that was faster, more physical, able to switch attack points. Uh, they just got beat. They got beat by a team that was more skilled and just better equipped for that moment. And then last year, Atletico ran into a, a Chelsea buzzsaw, that Chelsea team. Very strong, very physical, very skilled. Atletico were second best for almost the entire uh, 180 minutes of that tie. Uh, it's a combination of teams in England uh, getting better and having more money, being able to build their squads deeper and prepare them better for European competition. And honestly, the, the strength of, of the Spanish league um, is not what it used to be. La Liga is still a very good league. It's maybe the most balanced league in Europe right now without, at this point in time, really any standout teams. I think the top six, seven teams in La Liga are all within three points of each other at the moment, which it's is It's amazing stuff. I mean, it's it gone from being this sort of, we would all imagine from the outside, just Real and Barca two-horse race to this year. I mean, I guess it's sort of their downfall is leading to this, you know, awesome table where you've got like Real Vallecano and Osasuna and... All these teams are yep. like in the top six. It's really cool. It's like the best La Liga's like ever been, I think, that I've been watching football. Like, there was a year that Real Madrid uh, finished 39 points clear of Valencia in third place. And that just was not sustainable or acceptable. If you're trying to build a competitive league where you g- genuinely anything can happen. Yeah, if you're trying to make um, people not watch the Premier League and watch that, that right. isn't, that's not going to work, right? Yeah, but now Messi and Ronaldo are gone. You know, Ramos is gone. Big Neymar has been gone for years. Big names have left La Liga in recent years. For the benefit and, of the league. Yep, and the league has now accordingly reset itself. Um, there isn't a lot of money in La Liga compared to especially the Premier League, but um, other leagues too. The pandemic has shot a hole into a bunch of federations' finances and, and several domestic leagues' finances. But La Liga clubs have made it work with very smart recruitment and the combination of smart recruitment in the middle and the bottom of the table combined with Madrid making several bad transfers, Barcelona making several bad transfers, it's kind of created this flattening out in La Liga. And that has benefited Atletico, of course, winning the league last season. And you see teams like Real Sociedad punching above their weight this year. You see teams like Osasuna uh, playing very well um, and thriving off a defensive mindset. You have Rayo Vallecano. With Falcao. With Falcao, a former Atleti hero, yep. 
one of my all-time favorite players, Falcao, leading Rio to a, a big win over Barca on Wednesday. Uh, they're in the top half of the table with a really well-respected young coach, Anthony Areola. So uh, La Liga teams have been recruiting uh, – very, they've been very savvy recruitments in terms of the technical staff and the and the first team and then the squads because there hasn't been much money on hand. Um, the league is getting marketed a bit better. There's an there's a big TV rights deal with ESPN now in the United States, which is going to be so healthy for the league overseas in terms of the exposure. For years, all we were relegated to watching La Liga on BN Sports, which is not really available anywhere in the U.S. Because they had the rights, but this ESPN deal is just massive for the league's exposure. Um, it, the the competitiveness in La Liga right now, the parity is great, and that flattening out of La Liga I mentioned uh, creates a much more exciting race. Um, in Europe, though, you know, Villarreal won the Europa League last year, which was great. Real Madrid made the semifinals in the Champions League, but for a few years now, we've seen Spanish teams kind of struggle to match the physicality and the power of their English counterparts. And we've seen that, especially with Atletico in recent seasons. And German too, right? With yeah, Bayern, Bayern, Leipzig, these kind of like, you know, well-oiled machines. It's, 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 they are, it's, it's tough to adapt to that, I suppose. But bearing in mind then this sort of flattening out of La Liga that you mentioned, coupled with the sort of difficulties in Europe with the, the differences between the leagues, what would you say are your expectations for this season, realistic expectations? What would you consider to be a successful campaign as a fan? Ooh, a successful campaign. Uh, well, Diego Simeone likes to say partido a partido, game by game. So I try to think of things in the same way, uh, taken after the coach. But yeah, I, I think that Atletico are going to fight for the league. That's the expectation, not just the anticipation, but now the expectation. Um, that Atleti are going to fight in a, a very challenging league to retain their title. It would be the first time in 70 years that they've retained La Liga. So it would be a historic, monumental achievement if they were to do it. Um, I'm expecting a very tough road in La Liga, but I think they can repeat. In the Champions League, getting out of the group stage is a must. A quarterfinal run would probably be a good barometer for success. That's the, a good baseline for the club. Quarterfinal or beyond would be a good run in Europe. Um, Atleti have struggled in the Copa del Rey for several years, the domestic cup for several years now. So getting to the last 16 or the last eight of the Copa del Rey would also be a good season. There's also the Spanish Supercopa, uh, which is purely a, a money grab, but it's another trophy out there. <laughs> so, yeah, I think top three at least in La Liga, if not better, possibly even winning the league again. Uh, plus at least one quarterfinal run in the other three competitions. Um, a trophy would cap the year off nicely. Well, we shall see how that goes. It's going to take time. I'm going to have to wait and see, but I think that the future is bright at Atleti. Um, we do have some questions from Twitter, but before we come on to those, we're going to take one very quick break. And we're back. So we have three questions from Twitter. You've got mail. Uh, sorry, two questions, actually. Uh, the first question is from, mm, let me see, the Kidaka fan. The Kidaka fan. I, I think, judging by the handle, this uh, this person is called Rajiv. So we're going to say Rajiv, or the Kidaka fan asks, do you think FSG, Felix Suarez Griezmann, 
is one of the reasons for the recent defensive issues. That's a big debate right now in Atleti land, uh, is this team's transition now full-fledged into an attacking side. Uh, our own Robbie Dunn at Into the Calderon wrote a really excellent column on this earlier this week, and it's definitely worth a read, exploring how Atletico have finally made this transition to this exciting, thrilling, attacking side that ships goals more than they used to. Uh, the Felix Suarez Griezmann trident uh, is possibly unbalancing the team, but it's a long season. We'll see how Simeone compensates. There almost always is a backup plan. Uh, it's very clear that Cholo wants to get all three of them in the lineup together, and why not? There are three excellent attacking players. Yeah, you have to. You can't have one of them on the bench, can you? That's yeah, crazy. Griezmann has been um, in and out of the starting lineup since he rejoined uh, as he beds back into the team, but Suarez... Um, Though he has physically lost a step, he's still going to get his numbers. Uh, he's still going to pop up in important situations. Even if he's playing terribly, he's still going to show up when you need him to because he's Luis Suarez. Uh, Joao Felix is starting to make good on his promise and his potential. He has been beset by ankle injuries in, in the past two seasons. Those look to have cleared up now after an offseason surgery. He's playing really, really well. And Griezmann, we know what Griezmann offers. Um, Griezmann is even at 30 years old, and with his career soured by that Barcelona spell, uh, Griezmann is still a world-class level forward. So if you have him, if, if you have him, use him, right? If you got him, flaunt him. And that is what Simeone wants to do. Um, we'll see how it works. I think a three-four-three might work with this team's personnel better, but that's uh, that's going to be a thought exercise in, in fitting all these players, um, all these really talented players, into one starting eleven. This is the deepest squad Cholo Simeone has had as Atletico's boss, uh, and he's struggled with it at times this season. The starting lineup hasn't always been right. He's had to make really aggressive changes off the bench with Atletico falling behind in several games. Um, but right now, I, I'd say that Trident is unbalancing the team. But the this more the team wide stylistic shift has um, has more of a bearing on the fact that Atletico are conceding more goals. It's not just down to those three players. It's the team wide stylistic shift and, and new mentality that's in there. Yeah, it takes a little bit of time. But if anyone can solve that tactical puzzle. It's going to be Cholo. We just need to wait and see, I guess, how he's going to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and the second question that we have is from your cousins over at SB Nation, black and white and red uh -huh. all over. I actually uh, <laughs> interviewed Danny from over there uh, a little while ago. Um, and they ask, who is your favorite person at BWRAO? Uh, putting me <laughs> on the spot, man. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I love the Aventus Nation guys. Uh, they were one of the first sites to come out and, and really interact with us when we joined SB Nation. So we're big fans and we're 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 pals. Uh, oh, put me on the spot here. I love Danny. Danny's my guy. Um, but, you know, I, I, I like Manu, too. Uh, and Chelston, I, I can't really pick between the three of them. Can't. It's like asking me to pick a favorite son. Well, I have a question for you. Danny has this obsession with Gigi Buffon. <laughs> yes, he does. What, what is who? Who is your obsession? Who Who is the player that you are most obsessed with that you sort of are in love uh, with? Most obsessed with that I would I would never want to see leave the club under any circumstances. Or that you would follow around. You know, if you saw them, you would just follow them for you know, like a stalker and try and try and befriend them or something. I'd follow them around and want to be them. Uh, I'm going to go with the goalkeeper too, Jan Oblak. Nice. I, nice I want to be him when I grow up. 
Okay. Okay, Jeremy, let's finish off with our little quiz that we like to do with each of our guests called Do You Know Your Heroes? We're going to test a little bit of your uh, sort of records knowledge, Mm. I guess you would say. Uh, Some of these are from the deep, deep past, but some of them are are more contemporary. Um, I think you'll, you'll do just fine with them, but let's get started and see how we do. So the first question is, which player holds the record for the most Atletico Madrid appearances in history? That would be Adelardo Rodriguez. That is correct. Uh, you have one point. Do you know how many he made? Just out of interest. 553. Very, very cl- According to the, what I uh, looked at, it was 551. Five, mm, yeah, there are a couple sources that say 550, some others that say 551. Yeah. Most of them. This is why I take the point just for the name. <laughs> I take the point just for the name because after that it gets very murky, especially like in this guy's case, it's 1959 to 1976. Yeah, Eduardo so. was old school. Yep. We don't know what the truth really is. I've even had these situations where even the name isn't necessarily safe. <laughs> I think I did one. Uh, I did a, an episode with a Dortmund guy recently, and there were like three potential record holders, and lots of different sites sort of disagreed on which was the case. But anyway, we are one for one with Adelardo Rodriguez. So uh, question two, which current... Atletico player has made the most appearances. That would be Koke. It is correct, Captain Koke. Uh, do you know how many? Again, according to the stats that I have, league appearances. I know he's made 360 league appearances. He's well over 500 now in terms of all time, all competitions. I think he's at 511 now. According to what I saw, it was 505. Ooh. And let me let me think if they've played since I prepped this. This was about two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, you would have played maybe one more. He maybe made one more appearance. Um, but again, this is not important. We're two for two. 5 5-11, 5-12. Who knows exactly, but we he's getting, are. He's getting close to the record, though. I know that. But that yes, he is. That's, that's the most interesting part of it. How annoyed would you be if he got sold before he could take over Rodriguez? The Paris would be... Never. Yeah, it would be so annoying. I feel like even just as a sort of, you know, obsessive, I would be like, no, you can't set... He has to stay anyway just to break the record, even if you don't want him to play, because it's crazy. Uh, Question three, which player holds the record for scoring the most goals for Atletico Madrid in history? Uh, Luis Aragonis. Very nice. We are three for three. Uh, I don't suppose you know how many? 170-something. 172, maybe. Oh, so close. One seven three. Ah, missed it by one goal. Uh, just a bit between 1964 and 1975. Yeah. And to go back to Koke, that was between from 2009 until now. But yes, Aragonés as a player between 64 and 75 scored 173 goals and is a, a legend at the club. Right? I mean, he managed the club like what four yeah, times? Several stints during uh, the the real the real weird days for Atleti in the 80s and 90s. <laughs> So, uh, and and if I remember correctly, he was the star of Spain's international dominance, right? He won that first Euro, yep. I think. he was the man who dropped Raul from the squad and everyone wanted his head, but instead they go yeah. to the Euros in 2008 and start this golden generation. Okay, um, but which current member of the squad has scored the most goals for the club? Griezmann, I think, at 136. Very, very, apparently it's 133, uh. but... Um, but uh, again, that could be debatable. But most importantly, it is Antoine Griezmann. And he scored those goals between 2014 and 2019 and now 2021 onwards. So we are four for four. 
Question number five. Who is the highest scoring non-European in the history of the club? Highest scoring non-European? Ooh, that's a good question. Ooh, off the top of my head, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, Forlan, maybe? Uh, close. Right continent. But the Aguero. player is... Correct. Sergio Kun Aguero. He yeah. scored 102 goals between 2006 and 2011. So we are four for five. Uh, who was this? This is another interesting question. Who was the last player to win the Euros while playing for Atletico Madrid? It would be Torres, wouldn't it? Uh, would it be Torres? I think it would be. According to my research, it's Juan Fran oh. at Euro 2012. Yes, Juan Fran. Yep. Now, I don't know if that's because Torres had left then in 2012 or he didn't play in the tournament maybe he was injured there could be any number of technicalities yeah but... that's right torres was at chelsea then and waterfront had yeah waterfront had joined atletico earlier that season yep that that's it that must be it um so we're four for six question number seven who is the longest serving manager in the history of atletico madrid oh that's a, that's a tough one uh i'm gonna say diego simeone <laughs> correct <laughs> he's now been at the club for a decade i think his anniversary is coming up in december yep. right two days before christmas it's a we circle it on the calendar here yeah, that's going to have to be like sort of a, a a celebration on par with Christmas, I would imagine. Yeah, it's it's a holiday every year, and especially this time around because it's going to be a, a full decade. The club's going to go all out. It's going to be awesome. I imagine Twitter will be uh, full of Simeone content that day. Uh, and to finish off then, so we are now five from seven. And question eight, which is one that we always do with every guest, which nation, apart from Spain, is best represented in the current Atletico Madrid first team squad? not counting players on loan. So, of course, um, the majority of players are Spanish. Apart from that, which country is most represented? Gotta be Uruguay. Apparently, it's Brazil with three. Or Brazil. Yep, because yep, Cunha, Lodi, and Felipe. That's yep. it. Renan Lodi, Felipe, and Mateus Cunha. France has three, um, but Lecomte yep. and Griezmann are loanees. Um, and also, what was what I one thing I found fascinating about this when I was looking at the first team squad that I wanted to ask you is that it seems that Spain also only has three. So, is there not like a rule in La Liga? I know in um, in the Premier League, for example, you have to have like at least five. I think. Um, yeah, homegrown players. And usually, it just sort of happens that way. That whether it's a German club or an English club or French or whatever, we usually say, "Oh, well, of course, the majority are French." What's the second one? But in this case, that wasn't even the case. Like, there's the, Sp- the number of Spanish players is equal to the number of Brazilian. Is there not a rule or anything on that? Uh, no, not really in La Liga. Um, yeah, we only have three Spanish nationals, Coque, Llorente, and Hermoso. Uh, that, the homegrown rule as such doesn't really exist in, in La Liga. Um, well, it made my job hard. Yeah, uh, in this occasion. hard, right. <laughs> I was annoyed. I looked at the list. I was like, what? It's not even, Spain isn't even going to be the number one. Luckily, they were still the joint first. So it wasn't that, it wasn't that crazy. But yeah, that's, uh, that's a crazy thing. Um, Okay, so we are um, five out of eight, a very respectable score, Jeremy. One that you should be proud of. Before we get out of here, um, would you like to plug everywhere and anywhere that the listeners can read, listen, see all of your content, whether it's Into the Calderon or anything else? Please, please tell them where they can check you out. Yes, absolutely. I am on Twitter at JB Baron. That's at J B B E R E N. 
Um, I am pretty active on Twitter. Uh, I have a somewhat crippling addiction to the app. I'm on it a lot. Uh, we also are at Into the Calderon on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, IntoTheCalderon.com is where you can find all our written content and our audio content. We uh, have an Atletico Madrid podcast network at Into the Calderon that we're very proud of. Uh, I host the Colchonero Chat podcast with Robbie Dunn. Uh, and the Partido a Partido podcast is hosted uh, by Taha Arafat and Emmanuel Lavoget. Uh, they are a new addition to our team. We're very happy to have them. So two podcasts, plus a whole bunch of written goodies at Into the Calderon. We also have a Patreon page for Colt Chanero Chat at patreon.com slash Colt Chat. Uh, I go a little crazy on that page. We do uh, news roundups, instant analysis of games, other special features like Rohi Blanco history, uh, updates on loan players so you can check all that out if you are interested okay guys get over to into the calderon check out all that stuff check out all the writing check out all the podcasts and jeremy thank you so much for coming on it's been a real pleasure man craig thank you for having me this was delightful loved it thanks so much buddy catch you later Thanks so much for listening to the Sportacost Football Stories podcast. Please like, share, and leave five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. This is crucial to a show of our size. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a friend online or offline. That really helps a small podcast like ours to organically grow. Head to www.sportacost.com for live streams, data, statistics, and much more from the world of football. You can also follow us on Twitter at Sportacost.com. You can follow myself at Craig Sportacost. And we'd also love to read out the thoughts and questions of our listeners, so please feel free to tweet those to me anytime or send us an email to show at sportacost.com with your opinions or your questions, and we'll get to those on the next episode. Thanks again so much to Jeremy for coming on to speak to us today. Thanks so much to you for listening, and see you on the next episode of the Sportacost Football Stories podcast. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at BeatTheStigma.org.